Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. Uh, he is a certified tax coach and also the author of a book called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with your background a little bit and, and become how you became a tax coach and, and kind of give us a little bit of your background. Oh, sure. Great. Well, um, right out of school, I became a New York City police officer. Uh, I was a police officer retiring after 17 years as a lieutenant. Um, I was always very interested in finance. Uh, I retired. I went back to school. I received my accounting degree. went to work for a firm. I received my CPA license. And uh, I did a number of years working for um, an international firm. And um, I was always interested in tax planning. And about uh, six or seven years ago, I started to do a little research and came up with a couple of programs out there and decided to focus on tax planning and grow our business around tax planning. So uh, I'm a CPA and uh, I have a firm in Manhasset, New York, and you know we focus on tax planning. And are you dealing mostly with businesses or individuals, or a little bit of both? Mostly with businesses. I mean, we do our business owners' personal returns because, you know, that's the way they typically flow to the personal. But we, um, most of the planning that we do is with business owners and real estate investors. So kind of looking at the big picture, what is the advantage of having a business as opposed to being an individual as far as the ways you can save on taxes? We'll get into the details, but kind of <laughs> as a big picture. Well, I mean, you can typically put away more money into a retirement plan. That's one way. Um, then there's a lot of write-offs that are both, uh, you know, business write-offs that, you know, kind of trickle into your personal. Um, and um, just being able to take the different structures that are out there and use them to your advantage, just the way, you know, Donald Trump and Warren Buffett do. Yeah, so the, the government's really encouraging people to start businesses because they employ people. And therefore, they're giving more tax breaks. And if you're an individual, there's relatively limited ways for you to get huge tax breaks. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. So let's start with a kind of proactive tax planning, which is what you talk about. Here we are, almost a tax, you know, we're in tax season now. What can people do to kind of plan ahead um, instead of just reacting and, and kind of Doing so, all their tax planning on the day of their, their taxes are due. Right. So, so that's that's um, a really good question. Most most people and most accountants out there, you know, the, they're doing the right thing. They're putting the right numbers in the right boxes, but they're not communicating with their clients. And you know, come March and April, people are you know jumping through hoops and they're trying to figure out you know what they should have written off and what they didn't write off. Whereas we take a proactive stance and we say, okay, we start looking today for ways that they can legally write things off and get the benefit of the tax code. And so it's not only putting the right numbers in the right boxes, but we're looking forward instead of just being reactive. So you start your book with what you call the single most expensive tax mistake people make. What is that single most expensive tax, tax mistake? <clears throat> Failing to plan. That's the biggest mistake people make. You know, they spend more time researching a car than they do uh, spend time looking how to save tax dollars. 
you know, it's all about keeping more of what you make. And that may not be, is that the first chapter in the book? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so you talk about five levels of tax planning. The first one being no tax planning. Is that something that's pretty common among businesses? That's extremely common. That's extremely common. You know, most people think when you talk about tax planning, they think, yeah, well, I talked to my accountant in December and he tells me how much of an estimated payment I need to make by January 15th. That's what they consider tax planning. And, and when do they wake up that they can do things? When they have a big tax bill? <laughs> when they have a big tax bill and um, they're reeling in the pain and they're wondering where it all went and what could I have done different? And they decide, well, they're going to be proactive. And there's a, I belong to a group of about 100 CPAs and enrolled agents across the country. And they'll contact one of us and, you know, say, I want to I look at some tax planning. How does it work? So you're saying this is not something that most CPAs do? I would say probably 99.9% .9 of CPAs don't do it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now, the next one you talk about is power planning. What do you mean by that? Well, power planning is just really looking, doing an analysis, and seeing what we can do that's really different, okay? Maybe structuring things a little bit different. What and entity then, structure what, what entity structure we're in? Can it be a little bit different? Can you, can you, you know, be an S corporation, be a C corporation? You know, should I be taxed as a corporation in my LLC? And then you talk about rear view mirror tax planning. What do you mean by that? Well, that's what most people do is rear view mirror tax planning, which is it's this time of year. They're a business owner and they'll go see their accountant and their accountant will say, well, yeah, well, you can make a big SEP contribution. So that's rear view mirror planning. What's wrong with that? I mean, it, 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 you're saying that the past is not always the same as the future? Well, you could do a lot more if you look if you start looking forward. It gives you time to do structure things the right way. And then after rearview mirror investing, you talk about good tax planning. What's the difference between rearview mirror and good tax planning? Well, good good tax planning is starting today and looking through the year and see what can I do differently. Which opens up a whole host of possibilities versus that one that's allowed and ready for you come March of next year. And what's the difference between good tax planning and great tax planning, which is, I guess, what you do? Communication. You know, it's all about the communication. If, if we do a tax plan today and we don't talk until next March, there's a lot of things that are most likely going to happen during the course of the next 12 months that if we communicated, we could have probably saved some money. You know, it's all about keeping more of what you make. Is this something that clients resist? They don't particularly want to be thinking about this all during the year? Well, I wouldn't say they resist, okay, but they don't want to think about it, and that's when they come to us and they let us plan for them. And then, you know, we communicate with them throughout the year. You know, most people, they're making their money in their business. They're not accountants. They're not tax preparers. They want somebody else to do it for them and show them and lead them. So do you work with the controller, or who do you work with at the company? Are you working with the CEO to... Because these are major changes we're talking about that need to be made. We're typically working with the CEO. If they have a controller, we'll work through the controller. But more often than not, we're working with the CEO. Okay. So let's start with talking about structures and, and different entities. So there are different structures. So let's go through the pros and cons of different ones. The first one, for somebody who's starting a new small business, 
they're probably set up as a sole proprietorship. What are the pros and cons of running your business as a sole proprietorship? The pro is that you have a business. <laughs> the con is that it's probably not the best structure to run a business in. Your audit rate is much higher in a sole proprietorship because many sole proprietorships are kind of run like the Wild West. A lot of them don't have bank accounts. They don't do everything they're supposed to be doing. So that's the con. Um, and because of that, they have a higher incidence of audit. So meaning they're mingling their individual uh, checking accounts and credit cards and so on with their business and you, you, to do it right, you want to keep them separate. Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's very often the case. So uh, if when the, the next step up from a sole proprietorship is typically a subchapter S, would that be correct? It, it could be a subchapter S. It could be a partnership. Um, it could be a single member LLC. So let's take them one at a time. Let's start with the subchapter S. What are the pros and cons of subchapter S as the next step up after being a sole proprietorship? You know, each, each of these entities really vary case by case depending on the business you're in and your personal circumstances. So um, on, a, on a broad base, pros of a subchapter S corporation is that <coughs> you take a, <coughs> excuse me, a reasonable salary and all your income after that is not subject to self-employment tax. So I would say that's the pro. You're the, avoiding Social Security tax, you're saying? You, you're avoiding some Social Security tax on everything above what would be reasonable compensation. So you have to pay yourself what's called reasonable compensation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways to determine that. And then everything over and above that is not subject to self-employment tax. But you're, the only way to take it out is through distributions. I mean, a distribution would, would have regular tax, but not Social Security tax. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So you take a salary... And then you, everything else in addition to your salary, you're going to take out in the form of distributions. Are there tax breaks that you can get as a subchapter S that you could not get as a sole proprietorship? Nothing that's going to pop to the top of my mind. So everything. Uh, maybe just maybe deductible. if you talk about special, maybe if you're talking about special uh, area uh, exemptions and uh, self-employment tax, like revitalization. You know, zones and stuff like that. Um, but there's nothing special as far as if it's a legitimate business deduction, you could take it as a sole proprietorship. You could also take it as an S corporation. Are there uh, asset protection advantages of having things on a subchapter S versus a sole proprietorship? Many, many asset protection. And that's why we like to work with attorneys to when people just start up their businesses to make sure we get the asset protection and the legal side from them and what's the best tax side from us. So when I talk about communication, it's not just communication with the client. It's also communication with the, the client's legal team, his investment team. So what do you mean by asset protection? I mean, this is getting protected against lawsuits or what are some of the potential threats well, to a small business? Well, let, let's just I'll take one is a, um, you own a rental property and maybe you own two or three rental properties and you own them all in your individual name. So it's kind of like sole proprietorships, you know, and somebody sues you and they win and the, the rental property might be worth $50,000 and they have $150,000 judgment against you. Because you didn't do any entity protection work, they could actually go after your other houses and all your other assets, where if it, if it was inside of an entity, and they would, it would be much, much harder for them to go after your other assets. 
So the subchapter S gives you some protection in a case like that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And it also gives you other other you know protection if you you know have um, debt problems, et cetera, et cetera. Huh? Okay, we're going to get into some more detail. We're going to take a break right now. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. Uh, he is a certified tax coach. Um, uh, his book is called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. You can find out more about him and actually get a free copy of the book at craigcodyandcompany.com backslash money answers. And his name is spelled C-O-D-Y. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Episode. This is Jordan your host. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. He is a certified tax coach. He's also the author of a book called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Offs, Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. You can find out more about him and get a free copy of the book at Craig Cody and Company uh, backslash Money Answers. Welcome back to the show, Craig. I'm happy, very happy to be here. So we were talking about different entities, and we were talking a little bit about the Subchapter S Corporation. So just explain a little bit how the Sub S works. It's kind of a pass-through entity that losses and income pass through. What is the advantage of, of having that kind of a structure? Well, the, the, the main advantage, other than um, there's legal protection and the SE, the savings on a self-employment tax, um, the additional advantage inside of a, an S corporation is if you're subject to the new, uh, I call it the Medicaid tax, which is about um, almost 4% if you make uh, over about $250,000, it's also exempt from that. So um, that's the big thing. So the way it works is you take a salary and all the profit 
after salary um, you're taxed on. You get a K-1 with that number on it. And then you're able to take that money out in the form of distribution. So the money's taxable. It's just not subject to self-employment tax and the additional Medicaid tax. So does it make sense if you start a business as a sole proprietor and then it's doing well to, to convert it to a sub-S corporation? Is that typically the way one would handle it? That's one option, and you know we always like to look at each each case differently because depending on what your circumstances are, it might make sense to have uh, an LLC or an LLC tax as a partnership, depending on what else is going on in your you know uh, financial life. But if it gets big enough, you probably should move it out of a sole proprietorship, is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Is there kind of a rough dollar level of sales, like? 100,000 in sales or something, this is just a rough rule of when it makes sense to move from a sole proprietorship to some other kind of entity. Yeah, I, I like to tell people you want to be uh, at at least $50,000 in net profit before you, you know, other than tax, you know, sometimes people need the asset protection, but other than asset protection, you know, when you figure in, because now all of a sudden you have to do another tax return, uh, you have to do payroll. So I would say at least $50,000 in net profit before mm-hmm. you make that choice. So another choice is to do it as a partnership, limited partnership. So how is that different than a sub S corporation? What's the advantage of doing a structure as a partnership? Well, most most often what we see these days um, are limited liability companies, which are taxed as partnerships, and um, lawyers like them because they give a lot more um, asset protection, I'm told, over an S-corporation. There's also a lot of flexibility that you're allowed inside of an LLC where, you know, you could change from year to year the split on the profits. Uh, the split split on the losses. It's easier to add a member or partner um, versus adding a, uh, another shareholder to a corporation. So there's a lot more flexibility inside the LLC or LLP. Mm-hmm. We don't see as many LLPs around as you used to, just because of LLCs. Yeah, and then the other structure is a C corporation. Uh, when does that make sense for somebody to, to structure themselves that way? Well, the C-corporation we see with a lot of foreigners when they're um, using investments. It's also a great planning tool if you have a successful business and w- you want to add in other benefits or take advantage of really take advantage of the tax code. Sometimes uh, the client will add or, uh, a C-corporation and take advantage of what benefits are available inside a C-corporation where you're allowed to write off certain benefits that you're not allowed to write off inside of a a partnership or inside of an S-corporation. It's typically for a bigger company as a C-corporation, correct? Yeah, typically, you know, people that are, you know, netting over $150,000, you're not going to be um, looking, you're not going to really reap the advantages of a C-corporation. But then again, it depends if you have a foreign partner or a foreign shareholder, then you you wind up having to be a C-corporation. If you want to bring in investors to your business, um, you know, you start out on your own as a sole proprietorship, then it grew, and you want to bring in outside capital or partners, what is the best structure to use? Typically, you're going to see either uh, a C corporation or you're going to see uh, an LLC that's taxed like a partnership. Uh-huh, okay. Now, you say there are certain retroactive tax benefits. Is that correct? What are some examples of 
retroactive tax benefits. Well, a retroactive tax benefit would, let's just say, um, say you're a single member, single member LLC. So you're taxed as a sole proprietorship, but you have the protection of an LLC. Sometimes um, you're allowed to make a late election to be taxed as a corporation, which can save you, uh, you know, sometimes can save you a tremendous amount of self-employment tax. That's a yeah. that's a, a a big retroactive election that the government gives you. Uh huh. Okay. So uh, so you say uh, small business owners particularly make a lot of mistakes, or, or kind of miss all kinds of tax breaks. What are some of the expensive tax mistakes that uh, businesses uh, make? And actually, I think you've done a book on this topic as well. Correct. Correct. That's um, the ten most expensive tax mistakes that cost business owners thousands. So uh, once again, it comes back to the first one: is failing to plan. Then is audit paran- paranoia. I can't do that. I'll be audited. Well, if you do everything correctly and you get audited, it's not a big deal. So you think people <laughs> don't take tax breaks because they're worried about ink being audited when, in fact, they're perfectly legitimate tax breaks? Correct. There, there is a certain member of the public out there that, you know, they're not getting advice. So they don't want to do what they hear because they're not sure. Because they're dealing with people that are looking in a rearview mirror, then looking forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that you should, you can be aggressive but uh, uh, correct is what you're saying. Exactly, and and, and when we when we talk about you know aggressive, we're talking about just taking advantage of what the tax code says you can do. We're not talking about gray areas. Yeah. Okay. What are some other mistakes that people um, make? The wrong business entity, the wrong retirement plan. Okay. So let's talk um, about we talked about the business entities. Okay. Retirement plan. So, what are some of the choices that a small business owner? Because they have more choices to put money away than a traditional employee Correct. would have. They have a four hundred one k where they could defer their eighteen thousand, or depending on how old they are, an extra six thousand. And then they have a profit sharing piece that goes up to about fifty two thousand dollars a year. Um, if they have employees and they do the profit sharing, then they have to put money in for the employees. <clears throat> then you have your self employed pension plan. Your simple IRA, but um, and then you get into all sorts of defined benefit plans for people that are, you know, making, you know, much more money and can afford to put away much more money. Is there a maximum on all these things? You can't do them all, right? You have to. No, you can't do them all. No, there's a there's a there's a cap. And what is that cap? Is the it based cap, on income? Uh, on a typical qualified plan, it's uh, it's about fifty two thousand. And that's so that's. I'm sorry. What is the order in which you should do these things? You can't do them all at once. What's the first one you do, and what's the kind of last one you would do? Well, I mean, you, you want to at least start with um, either a self-employed pension plan or a 401k, and you want to talk to your financial advisor, and you want to talk to your CPA tax planner and see what one will give you, you know, the biggest benefit. And, yeah. you know, sometimes people don't realize that if they, they may – they may give themselves a big benefit, but they may be also on the hook for making large contributions for employees. So you have to be careful and you have to look and see what works best for you. And some are tax deferred and some are tax free. For example, there's a solo Roth IRA that you can do, which would be the money growing tax free. Is that correct? Correct. And that's typically you see that in a, in a younger person because that money's going to be worth a lot more but if somebody is older and they're willing to take the not take the tax um, deduction today in 10 or 15 years that money's all tax free so is it better to do a tax free uh, like a Roth IRA first 
and not get the deduction to have it growing tax-free than to do when we do get a deduction it's growing tax-deferred? Well, I would just say, uh, as a general rule, the younger you are, the better off it is to do a Roth. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can make the case if you're an older person. You can definitely make the case if the person is willing to forego the tax deduction up front. It kind of depends on their whole situation, but tax-free is usually better than tax-deferred. Correct. Yes. All right. What are some of the other mistakes that people typically make? Failing to hire family, depending on what, what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I, my, chapter, <coughs> my chapter in the book talks about, uh, you know, paying for your child's cleats uh, through hiring them. So let's just say your, your child goes to a, a private high school. You can hire your, your child, pay him a reasonable wage, pay him, put the, the money goes into his bank account. And then you could have the school directly debit his bank account for the monthly enrollment fee. And now you've basically made a non-deductible expense deductible. The child's working. It's legitimate. You're documenting it. And that's, that's one way to do it by hiring family. Another what thing is… Uh, legitimate and what are illegitimate things that a kid can do for well, your business? There's, well, there's actually case law that says you can hire somebody as, as young as seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I te- typically like to wait till they're about 11 and they could do anything that they could actually do and they do and you keep the right timesheets and you document everything. So whether that's licking stamps, okay, but you're not going to get a $1,000 an hour to lick stamps. So it has to be reasonable compensation, something that you would pay somebody else to do. Is this an area of abuse that people, you know, pay their kids really high salaries and for things they can't really do? Uh, I I haven't seen the abuse because when we do it with our clients, we make sure they follow all the rules. And I don't think it's, um, I've never had somebody come to me that they've already been paying their child. Uh huh. It's not something a deduction most people would normally Correct. Correct. Yeah. But you've got to be careful. It has to be legitimate work that the business really needs. It can't be kind of make work that has no. No, no. It definitely has to be legitimate work, but there's plenty of case law out there on what is actually legitimate work. Oh, okay, so you're starting with age 11, all right? What are some other mistakes that people make? Um, missed missed med- medical benefits. Maybe you're a single-member LLC or a sole proprietor, and um, you have young children, and maybe they need braces. So typically, insurance has a cap on what they'll pay for braces, so you have um, large out-of-pocket costs. Um, you could set up a medical expense reimbursement plan, and you can make that cost tax-deductible. This is like an FSA, is that what you mean? It's not like an FSA. It's a it's a different it could be used in addition to an FSA. It's a different type of plan. You basically in, in typically you're gonna hire your spouse. The house is your spouse is going to do something for your business, but instead of getting a W two, he or she will get a medical expense reimbursement plan and you'll cover up to a certain amount of out of pocket medical costs. So in this case, your spouse or your kid still has to be an employee working for your business. Is that right? Correct, but they're not getting a W-2. But they're getting compensated in, in this case, medical expenses. In the form, exactly. Uh huh. Okay. All right, we're going to actually take a break. Uh, we've got a lot of really interesting ideas we're coming out with here. My uh, guest this hour is Craig Cody. Uh, he is a certified tax coach uh, based in Long Island, New York. Um, his book is called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. We've just gotten some examples of that so far. Uh, you can find out more at his website, which is Craig Cody at company 
com backslash money answers. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. He is a certified tax coach. Uh, He is also the author of a book called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising uh, Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. You can find out more about it at his website, Craig Cody, C-O-D-Y, and company.com backslash money answers, and you can actually get a free copy of the book there. Welcome back to the show, Craig. Great to be here. So we were talking about the different mistakes that uh, businesses own, uh, business owners make. What are some other ones that we hadn't got to yet? Uh, missing the home office deduction. Mm-hmm. And going along with missing the home office, if you have a home office, you're allowed to have a home athletic facility. That home athletic facility could be your gym. It could be your pool. There's case so, law on that. So let's go talk about the home office a little bit. What are the criteria that make it legitimate to have a home office? Well, number one is you have to do a significant activity in your home office. That could be paying all your bills for your business. Um, then you have to have a, a an area that's dedicated to being your home office. It's used exclusively for your home office. Mm-hmm. And, and, and do, do you depreciate it? If, say you have a house and you've got one room that's your home office. What, what are the tax breaks you can actually take for a legitimate home office? Well, let, let's just say that one room is 5% or 10% of your square footage of the house. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could your repairs and maintenance, you could write off that 5 or 10%, your utilities. Um, you can depreciate that percentage of your house. And, and then it opens up the door to a home athletic facility, which can you know turn into many more dollars and deductions. So like in your basement, you have a... A track or a, a elliptical or some kind of a treadmill or something like that. Uh, it just has to be the part that's the athletic part, not your entire basement, right? Correct. Yes, and if it's a pool, it could be a whole pool. Uh huh. And it sounds like that could be that. subject to abuse. Do so you have to show that you're using not, it? That you're, you're well. No, it just has to be available. Uh huh. So okay, it has to be available for the employees and you know, and their family. People often think a home office deduction is a waving red flag at the IRS. Is that correct? Is that something they go after to uh, see all the time? I've, you know, I've never seen that. So um, I would say no. They've actually came out about two years ago with a safe harbor deduction for a home office. 
um, when when you think of the the amount of you know what your expenses, how high your expenses would have to be to make that home office an actual real significant number, you know, uh, it would have to be pretty large. And you know, most people the number is not that large. So you'd say you depreciate it over time, and then you sell your home, whatever, ten years later. Is is that your your cost basis has gone down? How how does that depreciation Correct. work through when well, you, you sell a house? Your cost basis has gone down, and that that depreciated portion is subject to recapture. So that means you pay tax on that portion at about twenty five percent. But typically, it's not depreciation is not a very large number because you look at the value of the house, then you have to subtract out the land cost, and then you're looking at five to ten percent of that home depreciated over 27 and a half years. So that's not the main, the main tax benefit is the expenses of the, the depreciation is nice, but the main tax benefit are the uh, elect- utilities and phone and all those kind of things related to the home office. Is that right? And, and another benefit is if you're subject to the alternative minimum tax, it moves a portion of your real estate taxes, which are added back for alternative minimum tax, and your interest cost from Schedule A to your corporate or partnership or single-member LLC part of your tax return. I see. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. And so we have the home office. What is an, another a tax mistake that people make? Missing their auto and truck expenses. People don't you know, track their mileage, don't track their, their vehicles, so they miss out on that because they don't talk to their CPA or tax person until it's too late. So, so what kind of records do is there, are there apps you can put on your phone to there's track a, your mileage? <laughs> there's a whole bunch of apps out there. Um, even with calendar systems, you could go in and you could see where you were and it'll compute the mileage for you and so you could calculate how much your mileage is. Um, there's a lot of, you know, technology is really great in that area. So um, they make it easy. So it's a business deduction to use. You're not depreciating your car particularly, but it's the uh, cost of uh, gas and that kind of thing. Well, you, you, if you're taking the cost as, as costs, you're depreciating your vehicle. Unless it's a lease, then um, you know there's different write-offs with the lease. Um, you're writing off a percentage of your fuel, your tolls, all your tolls that are business-related. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be using the car for business purposes, clearly, and, and you have Correct. to track what, yes, what the to, business, what right. the trip was for, right. for business purposes, right? And and then is the correct, and then is the mileage rate where you just take the actual mileage rate and you use that, and you you know if you do ten thousand miles and it's currently fifty two cents a mile, let's just say, so you have a five thousand two hundred dollar deduction for. Um, Auto expenses, and once you once you choose one method with that vehicle, you need to stay with that method until you get rid of that vehicle and choose another vehicle. So, typically, is the better way to do it do it on a per mileage basis as opposed to kind of counting how much you're spending on gas and so on. It 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 varies. I mean, it's very simple with credit cards and people using credit cards and urine statements to calculate how much they spent on the vehicle. Um, so, but once you make that decision, you need to stay with that that choice up until you get rid of that vehicle. And how about other expenses like office equipment, computers, copiers, all those kind of things? Is that also a good deduction? Yes, it's a, it's a legitimate deduction, and everybody should be taking it. If it's a, if it's a, a legitimate business expense, you're allowed to deduct it. 
And so all of what this is doing is lowering your adjusted gross income from your gross income, correct? I mean, correct. Less, less becomes taxable. Correct. Are there some credits that businesses can take, you know, small businesses can take, that are dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction of their taxes as well? Um, as far as dollar-for-dollar dollar reduction in taxes, not necessarily, but there are, the, the, I would say the biggest missing tax credit slash deduction we see is the domestic production activities deduction. Um, and that's probably been out, maybe I'm going to guess around 10 years. And when it first came out, it was, it's for, for people that produce things. And they, that could be uh, construction, manufacturing. There's a, a lot of different things that actually fall into that architecture. And when it first came out, it was there was a calculation, and it turned out to be 3% of this you know, gross income number, and it turned out to be very tiny. But over time, it was scheduled, and it did go to 9%. So it can make a big difference. It can make, you know... Um, Nine percent of your gross income for a company, if you're making, if you're netting a hundred thousand dollars, that's a nine thousand dollar deduction. But it's a it's a credit you're saying, not a deduction. No, this is actually a deduction, but it's a it's a it's a often missed deduction. So if you're making physical things, widgets of some kind, you can qualify for this uh, deduction. Basically. Yeah, and it's 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 expanded from that. You know, architectures. To architecture falls into that if you're producing or you're involved in a production of something. So it's encouraging manufacturing in the United States. That's the purpose. Exactly. Of that's exactly the whole point. Yeah. Okay. But now I, you go ahead. Very often we see that's not not done. It, it's not used. It, it, it means that people don't know about it. Is what you mean? They don't know about. It. They're not taking the time to look and see what they can do. Yeah. Okay, you have a whole chapter in your book about picking a CPA, or I think you call it Match.com for CPAs. So there's a lot of CPAs out there. How do you, how should you pick one over another? Obviously, um, recommendation is always a good thing. Finding somebody that you can communicate with is always a great thing. Um, you know, CPAs are known to wear pocket protectors and maybe not be the most social people out there. So you want to try and find somebody that's willing to communicate with you and stay in touch with you and guide you where you need to be guided. When would you do an enrolled agent instead of a CPA, or is it something that you would use both? Uh, I, I mean, I know some enrolled agents that are really, really good, okay, and they're better than some CPAs I know. So I, I guess it really comes down to, you know, sometimes for banking purposes, you're, you need a CPA. Um, but if the person is knowledgeable, and they have the credentials, and they do a lot of continuing education, and they're willing to communicate with you, um, you know, that makes them a better person than just having a credential that says they're a CPA. When do you need your returns audited, and when is it not necessary to have them audited for reporting purposes? Well, typically people that are, you know, we don't do audits, okay? So that's typically people that have maybe large bank loans where the bank wants an audit, and they'll bring in another firm that does the audit. Um, we don't see that that often. Sometimes you have companies that need bonds and they'll need a review. We've done reviews. But your you audits are people, typically they have lines of credits, they're large lines of credits, and the bank wants somebody to look at their financials and sign off on it saying it's legitimate. Yeah. What are most, again, most kind of small businesses need to do to improve their credit rating, business credit rating, they're, they're uh, being tracked by Dun & Bradstreet. What are some common mistakes that businesses use that 
hurt their credit rating. Well, obviously, paying bills late, not getting into, like, you start out with um, some of the office supply stores and, you know, pay your balance off. But there's a lot of companies out there that they, they don't even look at their, they're not even thinking about their business credit. And they should be. They should they, be. They, they definitely should be. So you're saying you can build business credit over time, uh, starting at supply stores, and then you have to report what your vendors are, their experience to build your business credit. It's not something that happens automatically. Correct. It's not like your personal credit. Yeah. And so what's the advantage of having a good business credit rating? Well, I mean, the, the ultimate advantage is at some point taking out a loan for your business that you don't have to personally guarantee. So God forbid the unthinkable happens. They'll take your business, but they won't go after your personal assets. Have you seen that happen? Where yes. Banks are not personal? Yes, I've seen that happen many times, especially, you know, 07, 08 in the real estate crash when the economy kind of tanked. Yes, people, you know, people signed for things personally when maybe they could have signed for them through the business. I mean, the reason the banks do that is they want protection. If, if the exactly. business goes under, they want to have some place to go right. to seize and, assets. And the bank isn't going to go out there and give you a $250,000 loan and just sign it to the business um, the first time around. That's not going to happen. O- over time, if as you establish yourself as a business, is it possible to get that off so that you're not signing for it personally? If you have the first one, you opened the line originally? There, there are definitely ways to do it. It depends on the assets of the business, what the business owns. You know, if, if the, the business is, has sufficient assets to guarantee the loans, you may be able to do that. Um, seen it done many times on the real estate side. Well, there's physical assets involved, but if it's yes. just a service business, you probably it, won't be able to do it. Right, exactly, because the bank needs to have some kind of collateral. So if something goes wrong, they need to go after something, and, and services is not something they can go after, really. Right, exactly. Very good. Okay. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. Uh, as you can see, he's a very knowledgeable, uh, certified tax coach. Uh, he has done a book about all this called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. You can get a copy of the book for free and find out more about him at his website, craigcodyandcompany.com backslash money answers. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Craig Cody. He is a certified tax coach based in Long Island, New York. His book is called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, Surprising Write-Off Strategies Most Business Owners Miss. You can get a copy of it and find out more about him at Craig Cody, spelled C-O-D-Y, and company.com backslash money answers. Welcome back to the show, Craig. Happy to be here. So let's take a look in the future now. We have a very kind of uncertain situation. First of all, do you think there's going to be a tax bill? We can get into the details of it, but overall, is a tax bill actually going to be uh, put into law, and, and do you think it'll happen by the end of this year? Uh, I, I hope it happens by the end of this year. Uh, I think if it doesn't happen, and I'm not a politician, I think if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to be tough to get done. Uh, and I don't think that tax bill is going to mean uh, a flat 15% tax break tax rate for corporations. Uh, I think it's going to have something to do more along the lines with the repa- repatriation of foreign funds on your big companies. So let's take a, a piece of the time. Let's start with small businesses. What do you think will happen that will affect small businesses both on rates and will there be any changes in deductions and credits, all the things we've been talking about during the show so far? I don't believe there's going to be a major change made for small businesses. That's my personal opinion. And why is that? I mean, this is where everybody says job growth is coming from and small businesses need to break more. But I mean, what I've been hearing is in return – for bringing the rate down from 35% to 15 or 20, they're going to cap or eliminate a lot of deductions and credits. You don't think that's going to happen? I personally don't think that's going to happen. I, I think, you know, if you lower the rate to 15% across the board for all corporations, S corporations, C corporations, um, the drop in revenue would be huge. And to offset that by, you know, limiting things that, you know, may already be limited due to alternative minimum tax, et cetera. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. For political reasons or because it's not a good idea? I, I don't think it's a good idea. I think the, the amount of money that would be given up would be huge. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's on the, the kind of small business side. So on the big business side, you think there'll be some kind of a temporary or how will it work to get money repatriated from overseas? I think they'll figure something out, um, how to bring back all this money that's overseas and get some money for it, but get get less than what corporations today would have to pay. I think that's where the biggest tax is going to come from. So like a temporary, people talked about a 10% charge of some kind. What do you think is going to happen? Exactly. I think maybe they'll do it two years or five years to, you know, roll in all this money that's overseas. And then will there be some requirement on what companies do with that money once it's repatriated? I'm, I'm sure they're going to have to put that money to work, whether that's buying equipment or you know manufacturing facilities, stuff like that. So they'll have to yeah. invest it. How yeah, about just or, putting it back in their companies and buying back stock and raising the dividend? Do you think that would count? I, I think what they're going to want them to do is a percentage of that money is going to have to be reinvested into equipment, which is going to then you know spur the economy on even more. Mm. So there'll be restrictions on how they use the money. That's my thoughts. And then on it's the individual, a, go ahead. It's all a big question mark. We like to plan for what's there today. Okay. And then on the individual side, 
There's talk of collapsing the number of tax brackets from seven to three, uh, capping deductions like mortgage interest. What do you think is going to happen on the individual side? Um, I, I really have no idea what they're going to come up with on that side. You know, you know. I mean, in the Northeast here, you know, real estate taxes are, are very high. They're already subject to alternative minimum tax addbacks. So I don't know if they make changes there, how big a difference that's going to make. So let's make you the tax czar. And the tax code is obviously very complex. What would you suggest to simplify the tax code and make for the correct incentives? I think it wouldn't so much be the tax code that I would change. It would just be the attitude towards dealing with businesses. I'd I'd get the IRS um, to operate in a more efficient manner. I mean, you know, everybody else, you know, if something generates money, you spend money on it. The government takes money away from the IRS. So you think the IRS should have a bigger budget and more inspectors and do more uh, audits and things? So as far as if, if I was the guy that was in charge of bringing the money in, yes. But you're on the other end. <laughs> right, I'm on the other end. Um, but I mean, on the individual side, do you think incentives are not correct now with having a top marginal rate of 39.6 plus on top of that? Do you think it helped the economy to bring tax rates down on the individual side? Well, you know, this history says if you bring the tax rate down, you know, people are going to spend more, they're going to invest more, which is going to create more jobs, and you have that whole circular reference that comes in and things build and build and build. So um, I just don't know if it's going to happen. So you're, you're the tax planner. As you say, you can deal with certainty, but with a potential huge tax change on both the corporate and individual side, how do you plan with your clients in this environment? We, we plan in a way to leave ourselves as many options at the end of the year as, as possible. So maybe if we're going to make that S election, maybe we're going to wait till December to make it, okay? Or maybe we're going to wait till January. The same thing if we have an LLC and we're thinking about making a late election. Maybe we'll wait till January to see what happens. So do you think businesses are waiting and holding back on certain investments now in anticipation of trying to find out what's going to happen with taxes. In a certain way, it's slowing things now while people are waiting to see what happens. I think people have been waiting for years now to see what's going to happen. I mean, I talk to business owners all the time. You know, the uncertainty, they don't like the uncertainty. So rather than spend, they hold on, they keep their money close to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think there's the prospect of a major simplification? People talking about having, you know, the your, your uh, tax return on a postcard and having a flat tax and all those kind of things. Is, is that even possible or would that be a good idea? I, I, it might be a good idea, but I never see that happening. So that we're going to continue to have a, a complex tax code here. I believe so. Yeah. Are there any new breaks that you think might be happening in addition to what already exists that would be enticing for your clients? New tax breaks as of right now, none that come to the top of my head. You know, everything is kind of at a standstill. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so basically, I mean, it, it sounds like you're kind of watching it, but you're not really well, we're planning based on it right now. No, we're, we're planning. We're doing the plans. We're doing a lot of plans. And we're just leaving ourselves as much flexibility in those plans as possible to take advantage of any potential changes. Yeah. But it, it, you're saying, bottom line, you don't think it's going to happen, that the rates will not go down that much. And they're not going to change that many exemptions or or deductions. Right. I don't think there's going to be a significant change. 
And I hope is I'm that wrong. Because, is, is, is that because of the political divide in the country? I mean, there has been such a push. We have not had a major tax reform since basically 1986, and we've added all this complication. Why is there not a big move to simplify and augment the tax system? You said it, politics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that makes it impossible to do the right thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, just a fun thing as we end, uh, you'd say there's certain unusual uh, tax breaks. Just give us an example or two of some kind of okay. unusual tax breaks. Two funny ones. Uh, one was a Massachusetts doctor who wrote off thousands of dollars in costs for donating sperm to in vitro fertilization. Uh, the federal tax court denied this deduction, saying those donation, these donations did not affect his health and were not legitimate medical expenses. Um, then there was uh, And another, he didn't get away with it. You're saying it he was, didn't it was, get away with it, no. And then there was a Manhattan man who tried to take a depletion allowance, which is common in um, oil and gas, for, stone, for sperm donations he made throughout the year. Of course, that one was, donate, uh, was denied. I <laughs> see. How about some unusual ones that were actually accepted that made it through? Let's see. Let's see. Uh, there was one um, owners of a dairy business went on an African safari and wrote it off as a business expense. Uh, justification for the deduction was uh, many of the dairy's promotional activities and marketing efforts included wild animals, wild dairy cows. The IRS agreed and upheld the trip as an ordinary and necessary deduction. So basically, if you're going to have it, you have to be able to fight for it. Through tax court, which is a long and complicated process to get that through, right? Right, and and we would rather not fight it in tax court. We'd like to. I'd rather have things that have already been tested in tax court, uh-huh. so we don't have to go to tax court. So who? Nobody wants to go to tax court. What, what has been your experience dealing with the IRS? Are they reasonable or are they unreasonable when you're doing an audit, for example? I, I have my experience has been the IRS has been very reasonable when dealing with them in an audit. Uh-huh. So the, people are so scared of them all the time, you think that's not legitimate. Well, you, you need to, I mean, w- when we have them with an order, we have all our ducks in a row and all, everything is documented. So, um, you know, there's no reason for us to be scared. We have everything, and obviously presentation is a big part of it. Um, but calling the IRS and calling the CPA hotline is a different story. Uh-huh. What happens when you call the IRS? Um, you know, you could be on hold for hours. You could get disconnected after an hour. You know, there's, you, I could, I can't make up all the stories. <laughs> but it's not the best thing. Is uh, there is a CPA hotline at the uh, IACPA? Is that where it is? It, it's at the IRS has what they call a CPA hotline. And when they first started it, it was the most wonderful thing they could have ever done. And of course, they decided to tweak it a number of times, and it's, uh, it's abysmal. And <laughs> You can wait on hold for hours and get disconnected after an hour. Um, you know, it's it's a mess. I see. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Craig Cody. Uh, he's a certified tax coach uh, based in Long Island, New York. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, which is craigcodyandcompany.com backslash money answers, and get a free copy of his book, which is called Secrets of a Tax-Free Life. Surprising write-off strategies most business owners miss. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks again. Next week, we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.